Welcome to the Organizer Chicks podcast. I am your host, Amber Taggart, and I am so glad that you decided to join us today. And I'm here to tell you, you picked a good time to listen. We have a fantastic guest today. It is Katie Wells. Katie Wells, who is an MS and an LPC who does CBT, and she is going to tell us all about those acronyms coming up. What you really need to know about Katie, in addition to these awesome letters behind her name, is that she is a fantastic person. She's someone that I have been lucky enough to know and to call a friend for many years now. And I'm here to tell you, she is a smart cookie who knows her stuff. And she truly, truly cares about helping her clients to enact change and to overcome anxiety in their lives. So Katie, thank you so much for joining us here today at the Organizer Chicks podcast. Thank you. I'm so overwhelmed by that introduction. <laughs> so like, let me catch my breath for a minute. I do practice uh, cognitive behavioral therapy locally in Bentonville and very happy to be here on, on the Organizer Chicks podcast because as you know, organization and mental health go hand in hand. I firmly believe that they do. I surely do. And I wondered if you would just start out by talking us through your letters. Tell us about the MS. What do those letters stand for? What do they mean? MS is Master of Science. So I have a Master of Science in Marriage and Family Therapy and Community Counseling from John Brown University. LPC stands for Licensed Professional Counselor, and that is granted by the Arkansas Board of Examiners and Counseling. CBT stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and I'm a certified cognitive behavioral therapist by the Academy in Philadelphia. That basically is a network of, of all of the cognitive therapists in the country. And that was my, you know, specialty piece. That, that's really what I decided was the most effective tool in, in therapy for, for me to apply that was really helpful to people. And so I decided after graduate school that I would do another couple of years and go ahead and get that certification um, so that I could, you know, really help the people of Northwest, Northwest Arkansas the best that I was equipped to do. Excellent. So tell us a little bit, if you would, about cognitive behavioral therapy, maybe for somebody who's maybe not familiar with different types of therapy. What about CBT do you like the most? And what is it that maybe makes it a little different from other types of therapy that might be practiced out there? Sure. What I like the most about it is that there's just so much evidence and it's been researched since its inception in the, the 60s that you can't really go wrong in it being something that is going to be helpful for really any issue on the spectrum. So you have maybe, you know, some life adjustment, which we're all experiencing right now, um, all the way up to maybe a more serious mental health issue that's been chronic. The, the model fits in anywhere on that spectrum, which a lot of people might have a misconception that something really needs to be wrong in order to go work some of those things out. And what yes. we see is that it can be effective at any level of just, hey, I need to get my thoughts in order on this one thing because it's maybe causing me a, a, a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of feeling like I'm out of my, my league here. So I think that that's one thing that is special about it to me. Now, the actual model, cognitive behavioral, intervenes at the cognitive level, meaning we are examining people's thoughts 
And there's a way to actually examine your thoughts to determine if they are accurate or not. And that's, you know, that's quite, you know, a powerful thing because you never thought, how am I not thinking accurately? Well, I can tell you a lot of ways that, you know, you might be thinking in such a way that would make the way that you feel much worse. I can teach people how to balance their thoughts and reconstruct their thoughts to make those feelings not as intense. So that's the cognitive piece of it. And then the behavioral is what we're doing with it. So our action, and that's one thing that I'm really passionate about in therapy is because in 50 minutes, once a week, I'm going to be limited by the change that we're going to be you know, mm-hmm. making. Always, there needs to be a connection between what happens in session and what you're doing outside of session. You know, what you're doing in your daily routine, right? In your life. Yes, we'll, we'll go through your thoughts and we'll go through maybe some limitations of what's going on on that level. But then we're going to say, okay, what do we need to be doing or doing differently? And we'll set up experiments and we'll set up testing theories and things like that to see if, hey, if I change this one thing in my environment, would that be helpful to me? What we know about that, what we know and what's been researched about intervening in the cognitive and in the behavioral is that it can be as effective as medication for the treatment of anxiety and depression. So you have someone that says, hey, I really don't want to sign up for therapy because I don't want them to throw medicine at me. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a legitimate concern. This is the model for you. And that that's also what's different about it uh, and that we can track the outcomes and actually say, It got better to this degree over time, and that keeps people out, you know, not having to have medication, although medication supports therapy in a very way that I think is is needed in some capacities. The most effective thing that I have found in my career that wasn't aimless, that I felt like people were actually able to apply and see change and not just say, well... I'm able to kind of talk about my feelings and and that's a great thing. And that is a great thing. But I think for me in my early career, I was seeing that that was not enough for the feedback that I was getting from people. So they needed actionable items and they needed things to, to actually apply to their thought process that would make it different. I appreciate that. I appreciate you going into, you know, cognitive. Let's talk about cognition. Let's talk about thinking about our own thoughts, that metacognition that we as as humans are empowered to be able to do, you know, what a, what a higher level thinking capacity we have. And then the explanation of, of, you know, how you incorporate that and help people with more correct thinking to then change their behavior. I think that's really an important thing to understand. One thing I would really like to hear you address is something that I will tell you, I see a lot as a professional organizer when people come and they say, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I should be able to handle this. And I guess I'm just a loser, or I guess I just, I'm avoidant, or I'm lazy, or I I don't have any willpower or follow through. I think sometimes we don't understand anxiety and we don't call it what it is. We kind of think we have a character flaw and we really internalize some things. And so I think it's important to have a, a good working definition of what that is and an understanding that it may look different for different people. So I wondered if you could speak to some of that. Absolutely. And a lot of times we think of anxiety in different ways that resonate differently with us and maybe the way it presents for us, or maybe we don't even, to your point, have an idea that that's what's happening because socially 
we should have it together, right? (laughs) Air quotes were used, right? Yes. (laughs) Air quotes. Air quotes are used because, again, back to my my inaccurate thinking, having expectations that we should be X, Y, Z, really what is that, is only going to make us feel worse about ourselves and like we've already failed. That aside, in in terms of how maybe the anxiety would manifest, some people have full-blown panic and it's, it's very obvious what's happening. A hallmark feature of of anxiety that maybe people don't think of straight off the bat is avoidance. So you say there's a stigma around my house not being organized or Mm -hmm. cleaned or what have you. Um, It's because there's an avoidance of actually starting because I might find myself overwhelmed if I get in there. And now I've bit off more than I can chew, so to speak. Mm And so people kind of, well, if I shut that door, then it might not, you know, exist. And I really uh, don't have to address it, right? And the problem grows. And we see that with procrastination as well. Procrastination is not necessarily a laziness. It's a, okay, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to start. And then it's the 11th hour and you have to. And what winds up happening of self-fulfilled prophecy of this was terrible winds up happening because I waited until the 11th hour and now I'm uh, stressed about it. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, from the cognitive behavioral model, what we would do with that is we would say, okay, maybe let's restructure some of that, that should talk because that's actually what we call a distortion, a distorted way of, of viewing yourself as you should do X, Y, Z. So let's mm-hmm. just say, I want to do those things, there you go. right? Yeah. Or have, you know, the expectation that this is what it looks like for me. Coupled with the behavioral approach of maybe it's not all in one setting that you do these things. Maybe you do things room by room. Yeah. Maybe you have some sort of yard sale before you start actually, you know, going through what you're keeping and things like that, or Mm -hmm. there might be a restructure in how it looks for you. It's kind of, you know, what I'm saying of one of my expectations all the time, my mom kept a very clean house. And so sometimes I kind of have the expectation that, man, I'm just not good at this or something is wrong with me because I'm not at her level. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm even not a very good house cleaner, like Mm -hmm. just admittedly. One of the things that I've done for myself is you know, I'm not going to have the expectation for myself to clean this entire house over the weekend. What I'm going to do is maybe address the most urgent room first. Dishes are in the sink. I'm going to do that one. Right. And then over the week, maybe I have goals of getting the whole thing done in pieces. But if I say to myself, I have to have the whole thing done this weekend, more than likely, I've just set myself up for failure because right. I know that that is not my strong suit. Created some anxiety for yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then again, that just the self-fulfilled prophecy and it then becomes a cyclical thing. You know, I avoid because I'm going to fail. The expectation is off, which is going to make it fail. And here we are Mm -hmm. in this whole anxiety ridden situation and the people around you are kind of like, what's going on? 
Right. Well, I love that you were willing to share and thank you for sharing, you know, that that your mother was this, you know, ultimate housekeeper and that comparatively, and that's kind of the operative word here, right? We, we compare ourselves with our family of origin or with who we're seeing on social media or in the magazine or on television. We're just bombarded with so many images of how we should be. And especially as women, I'm just going to say it. There is an incredible amount of pressure on women in our society to perform on all the levels, wear all the hats, juggle all the balls while being beautiful and thin and breastfeeding three babies at once and having the amazing career and volunteering every weekend. We're supposed to do all the things smilingly, beautifully with our makeup perfectly applied, right? And I think it's important to recognize that you are good at 22 things that I'm not and vice versa. And that is a beautiful thing. It's the way the world was intended to work. And so I love what your advice, you know, if if there's something you need to do, maybe chunk it down into more bite-sized pieces. And one of the things I'm a big fan of is delegating. If there is something that's not my wheelhouse, I don't love it. I'm not naturally good at it. I'm going to do like Elsa when I can and let it go. (laughs) Let that go. Be somebody else's (laughs) priority job that I'm paying them for, whatever it might look like. Because I have learned I have to offload some things or I will become very anxious as well. And that leads me to a a really pertinent illustration. You know, sometimes in therapy, I think, uh, you know, okay, I'm about to analyze this from a way that this person is just going to be mind blown, you know, and it's it doesn't land well. It's, you know, it's way over their heads or I didn't explain it well, whatever the case. And then they say to me that maybe the most helpful thing was really an elementary thing that I said that I was like, how in the world was that so monumental? But one thing that people tell me over and over and over again, that was a helpful illustration that I heard years ago was that we all have these plates in the air, like they spin, you know, spinning these plates in the air, yeah. like you see, you know, maybe at the circus or something. Now, some of them are glass, and if they drop, it's a problem, but some of them are plastic Hmm. and know the difference and allow the plastic to hit the floor. And once you allow yourself to do that and recognize, okay, this is glass, this is plastic, Hmm. maybe I'm going to let that go right now, or it's not as big of an urgency. Once you allow yourself to do that, you are going against everything that perfectionism requires of you, uh, everything that, you know, adjusting the, the belief system of, I have to do all of these things. And once you try it, and, and here's the thing, it's, there's a lot of anxiety in trying it, right? Because sure. what is the consequence really going to be if right. I just let go? Can I be okay with the dropped plate, even if it was plastic? Yeah, Exactly. And most of the time in my clinical work, what I see is that Once there's evidence that catastrophe did not occur, then we start to learn that, okay, that's acceptable. And so who would have thought that that little analogy would be one of the most meaningful things to people, but it really is. It's a powerful visual, you know, to pull up. And I think everyone has seen the example of the the fella, you know, spinning all the plates and, you know, how chaotic and how hectic that is. And I think one of the things that's helpful about that is to recognize that you indeed are a plate spinner how many plates you may have in the air. It may be different from mine. You may have more that are glass. Your plates may be larger or smaller and you have more or or less, but, and that's, you know, being an adult, being an American, probably to some extent is we're all supposed to be so busy, but I think that it's almost validating 
to say and to see, to have that visual image of, yes, indeed, I am. I am spinning the plates and I'm, I'm focus shifting all the time and trying to be mindful of, you know, all of the, <laughs> the rotations that are going on with all these plates. So that is, that's a really valuable visual for sure. So Katie, I wonder, you know, maybe we can identify anxiety a little better. I hope that people will walk away from this podcast and not just say to themselves, I'm lazy. I'm, I'm just not good at this. I just have no willpower. I, you know, I hope it's okay to, to say out loud, like, oh, okay, I think what I'm experiencing it is some anxiety. And because of anxiety, I'm behaving in an avoidant fashion. I hope we can do that. And once we recognize it, I wondered if you could share some tips for how to overcome. And I'm using air quotes now when I say overcome, because I think one thing that's important to recognize is that we may never overcome in, in a traditional sense anxiety, but we can push through it. We can work with it and we may still have it, right? And, and I think adjusting that expectation is important. If you believe I can get to a point where I will never feel anxiety about overcoming the big, seemingly insurmountable thing, then everything will feel like failure if you're defining success as never feeling an anxious feeling again. But if we recognize we may feel it and move forward, then that's a whole nother level of winning. So could you maybe share some tips of how to do that, how to find that I'm at that wall, I'm at that point where I want to turn around and go home. How do we move forward from that point? Sure. One of the most effective tools in doing this and, and for the personal evaluation of it, of where it is with you at when it's happening, is to you know put a number to it. That's also how we track to see if it's getting better. If every day... Uh, if you just find yourself in a heightened state, you know, and, and it's, you're uncomfortable and you're experiencing that over and over, maybe it's appropriate every day to put a number to what you're experiencing. So zero would be no disturbance at all, basically nothing. Maybe five is a mild discomfort, but I kind of got it. Mm -hmm. And 10 is the worst it's ever been. I'm panicked. I am unable to function and things like that. And so every day, if you say, okay, what's, what's my, what's my number? What's my rating? You can kind of track where it is, but it also gives you information because typically what we say is anything six and below, we kind of got, you're going to be uncomfortable maybe, but most likely you're going to manage through that. You're going to cope through that. And at the end of the day, there's just going to be the discomfort, mm. right? It's helpful to know that we're at a six, but we were still able to make it through the day. You had anxiety, but you continued through it. That gives you evidence for your self-efficacy that you were able to make that happen, right? Right. Now, seven and above, that's usually the danger zone. And that's where we want to be a little bit more mindful of. And if you're having sevens several days in a row, eights, nines, tens, mm -hmm. that's meaningful. That could even be an indication that it's time to go see a professional. It's time to go maybe get medication adjusted, whatever mm -hmm. the case, that it's time to make a, a change at home, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever the case may be for what that means for your life. But also that's usually when we say, okay, in this moment, I might need intervention. And I say that loosely, it's not like your whole family is going to come over and sit down <laughs> and you're going to, you know, be given this, you know, ultimatum intervention could be just like, okay, I need a break from whatever's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Or I need to call someone that I trust. Right. Or I need to call someone to take my children for the day, mm -hmm. you know, to, to give myself the break. So kind of just having that understanding of 
where am I at? That's not my anxiety against anyone else's anxiety. That's my anxiety against my own. That's how you're able to gauge what's happening with it. Because say, well, mine's not compared to my friends that bad. Well, you know, again, back to the presentation of anxiety, we've got so many different ways that it manifests. People can become withdrawn, avoidant. People can, you know, become elevated and maybe have some hysterics. So there's just too many kind of boxes that we could fit ourselves in. And so really at the end of the day, you want to understand how it presents for you and what maybe that seven to 10 would look like in the danger zone. And so, okay, well, when I start feeling that or when that starts to happen or when I have that reaction, I know that I'm already crossing that threshold into maybe part of that danger zone. Right. So on those times when we we kind of do this, you know, self-monitoring and we find that our score is at that six or below level and it is something that we we feel like we can and need to cope with because like you said, sometimes we just have to push forward could you share with us just one mechanism that we might use, something that you could could tap into if that's a, you know, if it's the deep breath, if it's, you know, whatever it might look like to help us back off the edge of feeling anxiety? Absolutely. Deep breathing is probably the most, you know, effective in the moment uh, exercise to use for anxiety. The body has to respond to a deep breath. Hmm. Making sure you're doing it correctly is important because incorrectly, and it can actually cause more anxiety. A good reference for that or a good um, thing to look into is diaphragmatic breathing. Because if you are breathing shallowly, that can almost resemble a little bit of panic, right? Mm. You can't catch my breath really well, things like that. So looking into or talking to your healthcare professional about diaphragmatic breathing and what that means and how to do that correctly. So we want to breathe, but we want to breathe correctly. And that's, again, a a behavioral thing that you can do in the moment, an action item. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe a cognitive item would be, okay, I'm at a five, not feeling great, but I'm here and I'm in my home and I'm safe and there's really not a threat. Walking yourself through some of those affirmations about what you know is currently happening. What I'm upset about might be, kind of what I've catastrophized in my head, scaling it back and saying, I'm kind of in my own sanctuary and I'm, there's not really a, an immediate threat right now mm-hmm. going through and talking, talking yourself through it. And here's the thing. Thoughts mean different things when you think them, than when you say them, than when you write them down. So I may be having a thought and in my head, I can twist it 10 ways to Sunday. I say it out loud and I can kind of hear it back and think, okay, that's not right. That's, that's got some, some different connotations to it. And then when I write it down and I see it, I go, that's definitely not right. Okay. So I think that that's one thing that I, I personally use. And I, sometimes I'll go a bit further if I'm really distressed and I'll say, you know, I'll start to take myself down the hall to tell someone or to, to a friend or to someone that I trust right. to tell someone, if I have the response, like, I don't even want to say it to them. That's usually an indication that it might not be right. right. You know, so, it's a good litmus test. Yes, exactly. And then if I do say it to them, gauging their, their response, they'll have something usually encouraging or grounding to say back, understanding that technique, especially 
as it relates to kind of thought progression, because Mm -hmm. No, we have one thought and now we're on the, on the spiral. Absolutely. So just understanding that our thoughts have different connotations and mean different things in our head, out loud and on paper. That's a really powerful thing to know. And I think that's one of my favorite things about CBT is that it is in fact, so science-based. I think it's very, very empowering for people to understand more about the science of their own mind, the science of our body and our, our physiological reaction, the power that our body has to sway our feelings and vice versa. Our feelings can sway our physical bodies. I remember being in grad school, our, our educational backgrounds very similar. I have a, an MS in clinical mental health as well. And, uh, I remember learning that if you smile at the sky for 30 seconds, you can't help but feel a little bit better, right? You're going to get that. Your brain is going to fire. You're going to get a little bit of a release, get some feel-good juices flowing, and you can actually help put yourself in a better mood. I think that's incredibly empowering to understand the ties between our bodies and our minds and that we, whether we know it or not and whether we're making things better or worse, for ourselves that we definitely can have some impact there. That's pretty empowering. So I think it's interesting because for as as similar as our backgrounds and educations are, we do really different things and we are really different people (laughs) in a lot of ways. And I remember one time you talking about one of the things that you do to kind of help with anxiety in social settings is that you leverage someone who has a personality more like me. And I wondered if you would share, because I thought that was such a brilliant tip. I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing that with our listeners. Absolutely. I mean, and realistically, people go into mental health because they've been moved, you know, because they've been moved on that level somehow. And, you know, it's a very passionate field to be in. And, you know, typically people don't land there by accident. I mean, we all have our own, you know, anxiety, story, struggle, whatever the case may be. And if you're not sure if you have anxiety or not, I always say check your heartbeat because you you do. And if you don't, you might be dead, you know, so (laughs) and I just say that, you know, to be funny, but it it, but it illustrates that just we all have our our own level of anxiety. (laughs) Right. And one of the ways that that mine is, is triggered and manifests is in large crowds of people or in a new situation, something like that, where I'm not prepared. And don't know what's going to happen, right? That's the whole thing with anxiety is the anticipation and and unpreparedness of it and what's going to happen, the what ifs. And so I'm relatively an introverted person just by nature. I could probably go a few days without talking to people outside of my immediate circle and be fine. And that doesn't really work when you are in business or when you're trying to help people come to information and, and knowledge about what I've dedicated my, my life's work to in networking, you know, in, in these networking meetings, which is where you and I met, I will use the strategy of finding, you know, one of the bigger personalities in the room. And here's the thing. I don't ever have to find them because they'll find me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I can name, I have the names of these people that that's just who they are. And people will say, well, I met, you know, Amber Taggart. I'm like, that wasn't by mistake. That's because Amber found you. That's who she is. That's how she believes in, in business networking, right? And so if you make a relationship there, all you have to do is 
find that person and mm-hmm. kind of stand by them and they will make those introductions for you make the bond with the person that comes to you and i mean don't follow them around like you know you're <laughs> up here or anything but that is one way that i've leveraged maybe being a little bit uncomfortable being in th- some of those situations yeah. now you know i went a step further and really wanted to test this out and desensitize myself and so i signed up to be in leadership capacities and things like that, because it does really test me and and provide good experience for me, but also puts me outside of that comfort zone. And and I get the practice that I need. That was, you know, one way that I went a step further. Now business networking doesn't mean what it did for me six years ago when I started, even though there are moments where I'll still have that, okay, this is an uncomfortable feeling, or there's too much going on here. I'm a little overstimulated. That part is me. That's my influence, right? I've accepted that. But yes, that's, that's one of the ways that an introvert can really leverage a social situation is by finding the person that, you know, knows everybody and knows you and you're comfortable with, um, because you're going to stand in, in the little semicircle that women stand in and, and they're just going to say, oh, so-and-so, do you know Katie? Right. Do this you know? Connection. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you just get to stand there and smile and let the organic conversation follow. I love that. I think that's a, a brilliant tip because there are moments in time where we we do need to do the thing that's uncomfortable because of our business growth or, or for our children. Maybe we we need we want to be that homeroom mother. And man, I, I'd rather not. But but part of me wants to. I want to want to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that and the most important thing at the end of doing that is recognizing that it was hard you did not want to do it, but you did it anyway. Yeah. And there's no, any type of failure that you might be perceiving for yourself just has no room when you've done that, you know, and when you've gone through that process. So yes. when you go home after the event, after doing all that and you see all this stuff, and you're like, oh, I'm such a failure. Consider what you just did. Actually acknowledge before you yes. move on to the next thing that's maybe not the best character situation for you or whatever the case. So I think that that's as equally important, not only that we're doing it, but we're acknowledging what that means and its significance. And then we can pull that information the next time we're in an anxiety producing situation we can say you know what i have i have a script for this i have a recipe for success that i have had in the past and i can reach back into that and remind myself of the accomplishment that i did and what i did to accomplish that thing and that can help the next success to just maybe come that much easier yes it provides evidence of stuff that you've already done. Right. So at some of these meetings, when, when I have to stand there and I maybe have some of those thoughts that are distressing, maybe it's a six, right. You know, I'll say myself, we've been here before we've done this. Uh, We've actually done this every month for the last six years. (laughs) What really is the threat? (laughs) What really is the threat, Katie? I love that. Well, I also love the sweatshirt that you are wearing. I came, I saw, I had anxiety and I continued. I'm in love with this. Obviously kind of a playoff of Julius Caesar's famous Vinny Vidi Vici, right? I came, I saw, I conquered. And I love, it's not about conquering it, right? It's about continuing. Tell us about the sweatshirts, the meaning behind it and what's going on there. Sure. So actually I had to get a shirt that represented my industry for a networking event. 
but it couldn't say what your industry was on it. And so I started to look on Etsy and some of these other, you know, sites and everything said, I came, I saw, I had anxiety. So I left Mm -hmm. and that's cute. And I laughed, but I was never going to buy that because number one, that is not what I'm promoting about anxiety and about CBT. Now um, I've tapped out plenty of times and I've left plenty of times. And there are times where it's actually appropriate to do that, but I wanted to promote what I know about the research of anxiety and what I know what works and what works is continuing and exposing through that discomfort. And so it is, and and I conquered, you know, at the end of the day, because I think if you do decide to continue through that discomfort and, and work through it, that you have in a way conquered it, even if it wasn't perfect. Absolutely. The choice to do that is, is really what it is. So it's that is what the, the shirt means. Now, it's on my website, katiewellcbt.com, and the proceeds are actually supporting charitable care in my clinic. So right now we've got an astronomical amount of people that are needing mental health care and that also have found themselves in situations where that is even more limited than it, than it ever has been due right. to some of the nuances of the pandemic. We've lost jobs. We've lost benefits. We have schedules that, you know, don't allow for, you know, maybe normal um, access. Right. So I think that, you know, once we were a full blown pandemic and I had, I was, dealing with this situation of all of these people have now lost their resources. I don't have anywhere to refer to them because we're all full. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to keep them on. I want to keep them on, but I've got to find a way to create a situation where we can offer this to the community as well. Right. There are providers in my clinic that see people at reduced rates and in some cases pro bono rates. And this little campaign with these sweatshirts supports being able to do that in in some capacity, being able to train people to be able to to provide those services, to be able to, you know, have the space to do that. And and some of the things that we need that will allow us to take new cases, right? Right. Because, you know, that's great that I kept my people on, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, the community is hurting. and felt like something that I really uh, was called, called to do and and felt what was necessary for, for my business, my brand, my clinic, everything, all of it. Right. So if someone is interested in uh, contributing to the good cause, buying and wearing these awesome sweatshirts, where can they get them? And if someone is interested, maybe has even recognized, you know what, I've been misnaming my avoidance. I, I now recognize that maybe I am struggling with some anxiety and I would like to talk to Katie or, or someone in her clinic. Where can people get a hold of you and buy your awesome merchandise? Information just about CBT, anxiety, whatever. A lot of that is on our Facebook page, Katie Well CBT. If you like the Facebook page, you know, you'll get those updates and things like that. Mm-hmm. I have videos about anxiety, depression, interventions that you can use. And so it's a helpful tool, but it also keeps you up to date. Now, in order maybe to reach out, you say, okay, I've, I've already decided that I'm there. I, I want to do that. There's a contact form on our website, katiewellcbt.com. And that's K-A-T-I, by the way, katiewellcbt. And you can fill out the contact form and we'll send you an email. We'll send you a text. We'll give you a call and hopefully 
be able to schedule something pretty quickly for you. And then at the top of my menu on my website, there's a tab that says support CBT. And that is the tab that has this merchandise. So we've got several variations of the shirt that I'm wearing. And I've got a new one on there right now that we just put on there that is a Mental Health Matters shirt. Because so, some of the guys were like, I don't know if I'm, you know, the purple is for me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that's good feedback. So I've got a, 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 a more uh, gender neutral option as well for anybody. So Mental Health Matters came, I saw I had anxiety and I continued all of those proceeds go to supporting our charitable care. Awesome. So again, if anybody wants to reach out to Katie, it's Katie Wells and it's K-A-T-I-W-E-L-L-S-C-B-T.com. Katie, thank you so much for being here with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That wraps up this episode of the Organizer Chicks podcast. Make sure to subscribe here and stay up to date with us on social media. We're at facebook.com slash the organizer chicks. And on Instagram, we're at the underscore organizer underscore chicks. Also make sure to check out the organizerchicks.com for more information on who we are and what we do. If you found our podcast interesting or helpful today, please give us a review on iTunes as it makes our show more visible to others. And a big thanks to Sweet 25 for letting us use their song, Thinking About You. Check them out on Spotify and iTunes as well. Thanks again for listening and be sure to catch our next episode as we work to help you turn your before into an after.